I have seen people who have far greater intellects than mine and uh, far greater gifts than mine spurred on just because somebody said, go for it, man. You can, you, you can do something with this. That's Dr. George Grant, and this is First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Very glad you could join us for this conversation. It's been said that our lives are short stories that lead to a novel. First Person is one short story a week, which tells God's story through people. As you listen, hopefully you'll be encouraged and perhaps even prompted to think about your own account of God's faithfulness. I've known George Grant through his books, but a few years back, a mutual friend introduced me personally to him. He's an author with more than five dozen books to his credit, but he's much more than that. A pastor, educator, historian, George has the ability to think deeply about the scriptures and yet present Christ and his truth to the whole of life in a compelling and winsome way. Dr. Grant is pastor of Parish Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee. He's also president of the King's Meadow Study Center, founder of the Franklin Classical School, and chancellor of New College Franklin. His most recently published work is the American Patriot's Handbook. I sat down with George to talk to him about his spiritual roots. The conversation took place in his church office in Franklin, surrounded by his beloved books. As we talked that day, I asked him when it was that he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. I was a teenager. I actually was raised in a non-Christian home. Uh, We did go to church, usually for Easter, sometimes for Christmas. Um, Other than that, I I had no acquaintance with the Scriptures. This was in Texas? Uh, I grew up uh, in—I was born in Houston and raised in Dallas. Okay. And I had no acquaintance whatsoever with the faith. I do remember as a child seeing the film The Robe. Oh, yeah. And being really smitten by it. Uh, I had deep, deep feelings that I didn't quite know what to do with. I now recognize those feelings as conviction. Hmm. But at the time, I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard the message before. But I was gripped immediately by the message of Jesus and uh, the story of of the robe. Uh, But when I was in high school— a, an evangelist actually came to our high school and made a presentation in uh, what we uh, called then uh, the, the all-school assembly. And he was absolutely hilarious. Uh, he was just uh, a, a really uh, funny, engaging, wonderful guy. And he was talking about religion, which I wasn't particularly interested in at, at that time. But sitting a couple of rows in front of me, there was a young lady that oh, I there's had always had my, one of those in the story. Uh huh. <laughs> had my eyes on, and uh, I noticed that she was alternately laughing and crying uh, in this presentation. And so he was going to do a, a number of meetings at our local high school uh, stadium, out, outdoor stadium. And so I thought, you know, this this is a good excuse to get her to go out with me. So I asked her uh, to go with me, and she said yes. So the very first time I had ever heard a sermon, the first time I had ever heard a gospel message uh, with an invitation uh, to accept Christ, I heard it, I believed it, and with fear and trembling, I stood up, walked down onto the field, and accepted Christ. Huh. 
what next? I mean, what do you do with that? What, what, I mean, with no church background, where do you turn? Well, you know, they, they gave me some follow-up materials, uh, including a little Gospel of John, and I read through that Gospel of John that night and was just astonished by what I read. And I knew that it was true. So that was the Spirit reaching out to you right was, then and there. Yeah, just an incredible confirmation of the Holy Spirit's work. So um, at the time, I was living with my coach. I was not living at home. And I had very limited budget, and um, I decided that whatever it was that I had just done, I needed to find more out about it. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a little Christian bookstore that I had seen any number of times on my way to swim practice. And I stopped in at this little Christian bookshop, and because of my limited finances, I immediately went to the sale table. And uh, I was just going to buy just whatever stuff they were getting rid of for a really cheap price. Uh, And it just so happened that this was a little Pentecostal um, bookstore. And so what they had on the sales table were a lot of things that they really didn't do well with with their clientele. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you know, the great Puritan Richard Baxter. So the first three books that I bought as a brand new Christian, I bought a Bible that day, my first Bible, and three books, Charles Haddon Spurgeon's The Soul Winner, Richard Baxter's The Reformed Pastor, and then Jeremiah Law's commentary on the book of Judges. Not exactly the <laughs> path most new believers take. Oh, is not at all. <laughs> And so that was my beginning. I took those home, and I just swallowed them whole, essentially. And it was really remarkable. I, in, in the days that followed, I was able to find a good Bible-teaching church, Believer's Chapel in Dallas, Texas, which was a lot of Dallas Theological Seminary guys. S. Lewis Johnson was there at the time. Um, there were uh, Sam Storms was a young young life intern there at that time. Uh, there were just some really remarkable Bible teachers, and so in those first few months, I just got a heavy dose of of good expositional Bible teaching and a great introduction to the Puritans, uh, the Covenanters, and uh, the Plymouth Brethren. I just I just got a great heavy dose of that, and then. I was off to college. Let me take you back to those books. Do you still have them? I do. I thought you might. I, I do. Are I, they in this room? I have all three of them. I think one of them is in this room. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, you mentioned your coach and your, your swimming coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were pretty accomplished as a, as a swimmer, weren't you? You know, fortunately, I mean, you back won't in say those that, days, but I can say that there wasn't as much competition as there no, is. Okay, uh, Here, here's the humble George <laughs> Grant. No, 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 no. <laughs> seriously. Uh, you know, I, I probably couldn't qualify with my times back then. I probably couldn't qualify for a city meet um, in, in the current high school um, standards today. But back in those days, you know, I, I had some great opportunities and. I had some great coaches, uh, some really great coaches. One of them was uh, the great Richard Quick, who went on after he coached high school swimming uh, to become uh, one of the most accomplished and decorated uh, Olympic and uh, collegiate coaches. Recently went home to be with the Lord, Hmm. uh, but he, he was one of my summer league coaches, and so I had some 
great, great coaching. But you did you have an opportunity to try out for the Olympics at one I point? I did. I did. I had an opportunity. I went to the to the trials, uh, but didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> but today you're you're a runner. I, I know your passion for running. Is it the same as you felt swimming, or maybe you still swim? I don't know. You know, I, I don't have much of a chance to swim. I love to swim whenever I can. I, I do uh, love just the physical activity. The reason I started running, though, was I started to realize that as a pastor and as a, as a writer, most of the people I knew were all believers. I, d- I didn't have good venues mm. to meet unbelievers who didn't, you know, have the presupposition that I was, you know, Pastor Grant or Dr. Grant. Yeah, we can become isolated, can't yeah, we? Yeah, I needed a world where I was just that tall, goofy guy. <laughs> I needed, a, I needed a, a world where I was just George. And so I, I found out about these running groups. Um, and here in, in uh, this area, uh, the running group is the Nashville Striders. And I thought, what a great way for me to, to meet unbelievers on an even plane. I'm not, you know, pastor. I'm not educator. I'm not, you know, author of books. I'm just another runner. I think there's something we can all learn from that. I, I remember John Stott saying years ago, if our only friends are Christians, we have failed. Absolutely. It must help you deal with stress, though. I mean, it of does. course, pastors don't have stress. I know that. But <laughs> I tell you, it's, it's a wonderful thing to get up very early in the morning. I was out very early this morning, and I was, I was out real early, and it was, uh, it was just really incredibly delightful to be alone with the Lord. Take me back to college. Your your journey uh, in, with Christ really had started just prior to college? Yes. And so did you choose a Christian college? What kind of education were you pursuing? What were you hoping to get from education at that well, point? Well, I, I, I really wanted to swim in college. And so I went where I thought I would have the, the best opportunity to swim, which was a, a Division I uh, NCAA state school, the mm-hmm. University of Houston. And so I went there to swim. But just... The, the summer before college, uh, there was a, a great event that Campus Crusade put on in the city of Dallas, Explo 72. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, it was there that I got the nine transferable concepts, and I started scripture memory for the first time. I got an NASB, one of those great big orange <laughs> foam, you know, <laughs> giant choke-a-horse NASB <laughs> Bibles. And I, I began using the cross-reference system and studying the scriptures, having quiet times for the first time in the summer before college. So I went to college, and I was on, on our swim team. I was the crazy Jesus freak. Yeah, I was going to ask you, if I had known you, would you have uh, tried to convert me at that time? Oh, I was, I was, I was pretty obnoxious. I was, I was in, at that time, what I would call the cage stage. Which of, means which means that you know sometimes young believers can be so overzealous that they just bulldoze over everyone. <laughs> my parents thought I'd gone absolutely insane. Uh, my brother and sister were embarrassed to be around me. Um, you know, I'd gone from being cool uh, to suddenly because I, I was the oldest to suddenly being the, the family embarrassment. <laughs> and it was justly deserved. I was, I was pretty obnoxious. Uh, but the Lord was really gracious uh, in those days. And I did 
uh, had the opportunity to learn some great evangelism techniques and, and approaches and apologetics. And in that first year, I really grew tremendously, got involved in a campus uh, group, a Christian group, uh, where I uh, was almost immediately thrust into leadership, uh, Lord knows why, and, and started to be involved in uh, things like cults ministry and all of that. Of course, yeah, apologetics. Brand new, brand new Josh baby McDowell believer. in those days. Oh, Josh McDowell and, and uh, the, uh, the Berkeley World Liberation Front. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the, uh, that, uh, but uh, that was the beginning of the Spirituals uh, Counterfeits Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brooks Alexander and all of those guys. So that was all very stimulating for you. It was. It was. I remember um, in 1973... Guru Maharaji came to usher in the new millennium uh, at uh, the Houston Astrodome. And I was a part of an evangelism team that literally went to uh, the Astrodome and met with all of the converts of the Divine Light Mission. And uh, we had materials prepared and we got training. And um, so that was really the beginning of ministry. And we'll continue this conversation with Dr. George Grant on First Person. If you missed any part of the last few minutes or would like to listen again, you can visit our audio archive at firstpersoninterview.com. Looking ahead to next week's show, my guest will be a man who grew up in Ireland and served as a member of the Royal Ulster Constabulary at a very stressful time. One of my little statements, and I think it's applicable beyond my personal situation, but security is not the absence of danger. It's the presence of God. And I had to learn, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Not life, not death. You'll meet Philip DeCourcy next week here on First Person. Visit firstpersoninterview.com. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Our guest today is Dr. George Grant. And you can find out more about him at firstpersoninterview.com. During my visit to his church study, I asked George about his passion for both the local church parish and education, wondering... Which came first? Pastoral ministry. Uh, I really, education didn't, it didn't dawn on me the importance of education until Karen and I had our first child. And when, when I began to examine what educational options might be there for my infant son, I became frightened. I had begun to pursue what I hoped would be a career. Um, I really thought that I was not supposed to be in pastoral ministry. I thought that I was supposed to go to Washington, D.C. and be some kind of Christian lobbyist, that I was supposed to work in public policy in some way. So I, I was in pursuit of that, and I was educating myself by reading a lot of the Founding Fathers. I was reading not just the Founding Fathers, but what the Founding Fathers read. And then I read what those that the Founding Fathers read, had read. And one of the things that I, I discovered was that, that in the modern world of public policy, people didn't think like that anymore. They weren't grounded like that anymore. So you saw Even, that connection right away. I did, and it frightened me. And I decided then and there that um, all of the things that I had never learned in school, I wanted my son to learn. All the things that I felt like I'd been deprived of, the, the incredible inheritance of my, my own legacy as an American, uh, as Christian, I, I felt like I'd been deprived of all of that. I wanted my son to have that. And so I, 
I began to really wrestle with what, what, what is education? What's it for? Uh, how does discipleship fit into the equipping of, of schooling in a young child's life? And that really is what um, sort of sent me off on a path. I'm not an educator. I'm not a historian. I'm not an academic. I just realized that I wanted a lot more substance for my kids. And so I was an enthusiast and a dabbler. I'm still an enthusiast and a dabbler. Well, God has certainly used you to uh, draw a lot of us uh, into that world so that we appreciate it much more and study much deeper and understand ultimately the scriptures much, much better as a result of it. Well, that, that is my hope and a pr- my prayer. You know, there, there is, there's an extraordinary kind of thing. I, I think that my primary gift is not uh, the gift of teaching as much as it is the gift of encouragement. I think that that's probably my, my one trick, you know, <laughs> that I've got. I'm a one-trick pony, as I often say. But there, there's great power in encouragement. And uh, I have seen people who have far greater intellects than mine and uh, far greater gifts than mine spurred on just because somebody said, go for it, man. You can, you can, you can do something with this. And so uh, most of my ministry has just been telling other people, go for it, man. Let me take you back uh, because uh, you're coming of age in a sense on, in the area of public policy paralleled the influence uh, rising of uh, Francis Schaeffer. Yes. What, what kind of influence did he have on you? Enormous, enormous. I started reading Francis Schaeffer uh, 37 years ago this month. I know that because I, I gave a talk this morning okay. on Francis Schaeffer, <laughs> and I, I prepared for that talk and I kind of recollected all of my associations with, with Schaeffer. I think it's time for the church to start paying attention to Schaeffer again, don't you think? Well, I tell you what, I... I am astonished by how much more relevant and to the point he is today than even, you know, when he was in his heyday in the 70s and 80s. It's really astonishing. Mm -hmm. So I started reading him 37 years ago. About three years later, I heard him uh, speak in a large uh, meeting in Houston, Texas. Uh, Then I had the opportunity uh, the next year to go hear him speak again in San Diego at the, at the big inerrancy conference that was held there where all of my heroes uh, were, were lined up. There was J.I. Packer and there was Ray Stedman and, you know, there was Moshe Rosen and, I mean, just this whole slew of them. And John Stott and I, I, was, I was just, I felt like I was in heaven. And uh, I feel like that's what heaven is going to be like. When I think about heaven, I think about that inerrancy <laughs> conference in yeah, San Diego. You would, right. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I had a, ch- a chance to hear him there. Uh, I then later was able to visit Labrie on a number of occasions. I devoured everything that Schaefer wrote. He, his, uh, his little booklet, Two Contents, Two Realities, uh, in which he said that if Christians are going to accomplish what we've been called to accomplish, we need to have the content of sound doctrine. We need to have the content of honest answers to honest questions. But to those two contents, that, that orthodoxy, we needed to also have the reality of true spirituality and the reality of beautiful human relationships. Well, that speaks today loudly. 
Well, that, that became the framework for almost everything that I, I attempted to do in the years after that. And it, it remains a, a part of the framework. In fact, when we planted this local congregation— Parish Presbyterian, Franklin, Tennessee. You can say it. Yeah, the, those, <laughs> those two contents and two realities were woven into our original distinctives statement. A couple of questions before our time runs out. Pastoral ministry, what drives you? You say you're not an educator, you're not a historian, but you are those things and more, but it all comes together in pastoral ministry for you. Well, well, it does. You know, I, I go back to Richard Baxter and that, that first book that I read as, as a new believer. He said, if we believe that the gospel is true, and if we believe that men without Christ perish, then how can we help but tell the world? And if we tell the world, will we simply tell them or will we guide them into the everlasting way? Show them the way. Show them. And, um, you know, that, that book is, is actually a very long exposition that this great Puritan, uh, Richard Baxter, uh, wrote in 1656. It is this, this long exposition of a single verse of Scripture. It's, it's Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, where he says, Tend to yourselves and tend to the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer of by the inheritance that he has won by his own blood. Powerful. Boy, if you, if you believe that verse, how can you not desire to feed the flock of God? Finally, we could and should talk about this for hours, but what is the challenge facing the church right now? Hmm. I oftentimes say that the greatest challenge that faces the church today is to simply be the church, to be salt and light, to be prophetic and courageous, to be a place of shelter, uh, but we're also to be a fortress and a defense against wickedness in the world. And oftentimes we treat church as if it's really just a country club or a therapeutic session. And so for me, the great challenge is, is that the church would be the church. You know, in, in God's redemptive plan, The church is plan A, and there is no plan B. That should cause us to to be enormously sobered, and and yet at the same time, enormously encouraged. If God's plan is to actually use these feeble, funny gatherings of, of this peculiar flock for the redemption of the world, what a glorious gospel this is. Dr. George Grant been a delight as always well thank you this is uh this is a dream come true for for you to have a program like this Uh, i'm i'm so excited always the encourager we've placed links to the life and ministry of dr george grant on our website firstpersoninterview.com first person is a weekly conversation but you can visit us online anytime or on facebook or twitter those links are found on our webpage firstpersoninterview.com And if you have a suggestion for a guest to join us, please contact us online. Once again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, our guest will be Philip DeCourcy, a former police officer in Ireland who now wields a different weapon. 
With thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person.